Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and growers, industry, the science community, and policymakers to hear their news and views on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. Now, over the coming weeks, I'm taking a look at a recently published report addressing the warming impact of New Zealand's agricultural methane emissions. This report was commissioned by Beef and Lamb New Zealand, Dairy NZ, and Federated Farmers. The report emphasised that the current methane reduction targets ranging from 24% to 47% would effectively offset all expected additional warming caused by methane, CO2 and N2O emissions in the country. This would see New Zealand peak its warming around in the late 2030s and reverse warming back to 2022 and 2027 temperature levels. The primary purpose of the report was to contribute to the Climate Change Commission's process regarding the review of New Zealand's 2050 climate targets. More to come on this in the coming weeks, but today I want to share an interview with Dr Harry Clark from the New Zealand Agricultural Greenhouse Gas Research Centre and at the time of the interview was also a member of the New Zealand Climate Change Commission. Have a listen to some of his thoughts on emissions targets for farmers in this country. Do you think farmers have already progressed in their practices since, say, the early 1990s, either anecdotally or with evidence? Oh, I, I, I don't think we need to rely on anecdote. We can actually look uh, at, at evidence. If you actually look just at a few very simple statistics, you know, in, in 1990, each you produce less than one lamb. Now we're producing closer to 1.4 lambs per you. Mm. Uh, and if we looked at what uh, a dairy animal produced in, in, in 1990, you know, around about 3,000 kilograms of milk, we're now into over 4,000 per animal. Our lambs used to be sold at 13 and a half kilos. They now get to close to 18 kilos and being slaughtered at about the same time. And, and mm. so we can see these productivity increases and they come through in our greenhouse gas footprint when we look at the amount of greenhouse gas produced per unit of food. And we very roughly, this is a crude estimate, we have gone down around 1% a year in the amount of greenhouse gas produced per unit of food. Uh, and so if you actually looked over 30 years, you said if we had kept product constant, we would have reduced our emissions by 30%. But of course, we've actually increased the amount of products. Our emissions have gone yeah. up, um, but they haven't gone up in the same rate as they would have done if farmers hadn't taken action. So our emissions could have been somewhere, and it's a very rough calculation, about 40% higher than they are now if farmers hadn't already been taking action. They might not have actually known they were taking action to reduce emissions, but those increases in efficiency kept the down that increase in emissions and, and so I think we do have to acknowledge that and, and embrace that farmers have done a lot to to ensure that we haven't um, our emissions haven't risen uh, as fast as they could have done without their actions and if we actually look at how say agricultural emissions have increased relative to say transport emissions Agricultural emissions haven't increased by anywhere near as much, under half of how transport emissions have increased, while at the same time being able to show, particularly, say, for, well, in, in beef and sheep, we're producing about the same amount of, of, of 
product mm. and, and in dairy producing nearly three times as much. Mm. Um, so we've been able to show we can increase our output, but not increasing emissions at the same rate. And I think I can understand why farmers will look and say, well, haven't we done a good job compared to others in the economy? Particularly, you look at transport emissions. Has there been any advancements on a measurement for calculating total on-farm sequestration yet? This is, in my view, as important as understanding a farmer's numbers or emissions. Well, I, I think in understanding a farm's number, uh, I think on a, on in a sense on equity grounds, you, if you're going to say, well, you know, you, we will count these emissions against you we should also be saying, well, can we uh, offset that and count the sequestration? And, and again, you come back to sequestration being the change in our stocks. And I think what some of the uh, ways that, uh, certainly at the national level, the way, um, say, um, carbon stored in trees is accounted for, there are rules around minimum sizes um, you know, it has to be a, a certain area, it has to be a certain ground cover. And, 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 and I think some of those were, were set at the time because of the technologies available to estimate them. And, and if you think of satellite imagery, etc., it could work at a certain scale. Now we can come down to a much finer scale. And it, it, it could well be that there are uh, sequestration activities that are not being picked up under those current uh, approaches. And I think it, there is a general consensus that, that we need to revisit this to actually look at whether we can count that sequestration um, in, in these much, in activities that fit outside the current rule framework. And, and, and there's a lot of work being done to do that. And it's also was flagged by the Climate Change Commission as something that needs to be looked at to see how any on-farm sequestration can be uh, acknowledged. But I do want to point out that, that, that just having a, a, a stock in a tree doesn't mean you're sequestering. It may well have a stock of carbon that's not changing. And there would always be the, the downside to including um, sequestration that if if for some reason that vegetation is harvested there is a loss and and so it's not always that simple of saying well i wish to include every bit of sequestration because you'd also have to count every loss as well mm. um, and so there is a you know two sides to this coin but i think it is generally acknowledged that that there are some sequestration activities going on on farm that are under the current rules and not actually being estimated and acknowledged. And, and I think on grounds of equity, we need to ensure that, that that changes. Now, Harry, I have to bring up land use change. And there's a bit in this, as I believe we are at a critical stage in this area, and in particular, exotic trees and indeed carbon farming. I believe in the right tree in the right place and not on good productive country that is well suited to livestock. I also have serious concerns around the negative social implications to our rural communities with this land use change. What is your view on all that? <laughs> I, your phrasing of the question, some people would argue you're, you're biased in your phrasing of the question because you immediately say that this is good livestock land. A forester might say, I'm sorry, that's actually very good forestry land. Why are you saying livestock takes precedence over forestry? And, and I don't want to really enter that debate um, because it, 
you know, land doesn't come, you know, tagged with a particular use. And, and I think you will find out that, that, that land use is dynamic. Um, we've had land previously that was in livestock and is now in horticulture, it's in grapes. Um, we've had land that's been in trees and changed to, to livestock. And, and you think about the, the change in the central plateau, you know, in, in the, the 2008-10, when we changed forest to, 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 to livestock. And there was a lot of fuss over that around what it would do to water quality. And now we're seeing another place, oh, we don't want all that forestry back on. But it's dynamic. I think it comes back to what's the balance we want to see within um, our land use. And that certainly there would be a lot of concern uh, around rural communities, how rural communities function, what the services rural communities have, if there was blanket afforestation. On the other hand, I think we probably have to accept that um, maybe we farmed in some areas that it would be better in forestry um, and that given the relative economics and the climate change where forestry will definitely be one of the uh, solutions to um, offsetting emissions and we won't be able to stop every emission so there will be a role for forestry and it to me it's, it's all about that balance of trying to balance what we want for the broad environment, what we want socially, uh, and, and those, those multiple goals. Where does biodiversity fit in? So we are, and I absolutely agree with you about the right tree in the right place at the right time. And that, that I think is great, but I don't think it then follows that that's good agricultural land going to forestry. I think it then is, is actually about the right tree in the right place at the right time. Mm. And take that as, as the mantra, because I don't, and I think when, you know, foresters would certainly argue that you're not taking that when you say, oh, it's agricultural land going to forestry. I certainly agree. Forestry does play an important role. What about allowing an emitter to purchase land for carbon farming or indeed purchase carbon credits like an airline or an oil company? Is that not essentially dumping pollution on our farming communities? I think one of the, the things that we have to uh, acknowledge is that if we are going to address the problem of climate change, we have to reduce emissions. And that if we don't take action to directly reduce emissions and, and, and do it by something like planting trees, we eventually run out of land to plant trees. And what we are doing is in a sense, passing on the problem to another generation. So we, we really do need to tackle emissions at, at source. And, and New Zealand has, you know, in the past met its international targets, mainly through forestry. And the Climate Change Commission had really come out and said that that, that is not a long-term approach. It's unfair across generations. We have to reduce emissions. So, you know, the general idea of all we do is plant our way out of the, the climate change problem, I think is, is something that is not a long-term solution. Whether individual companies or hard to reduce emissions um, are passing on the problem. I, I think that's a bit more contentious because we're not gonna be able to reduce every emission. There is a role for forestry. It's just how much of that role, how much of a role there is. And, and, and it could well be you, that some in the agricultural sector don't see it as passing on the problem actually see it as an opportunity where I may be able to plant trees 
uh, and get a better economic return than I would from livestock farming. So I think it's again about scale that, that we will need forestry, but to allow the unrestricted planting of forestry may not be in our country's long-term interest and, 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 and it may not be in companies' long-term interest because at some stage we run out of land to plant forests. And if you haven't taken steps to reduce emissions, what do you do? And, and I, you, the airline industry is a very uh, probably good case because at the moment they are struggling for any, you know, any solutions. Electric planes, well, maybe for short haul, but you're not going to have long haul hydrogen powered planes or biofuel powered planes. Yes, but I think we're some way away. So in the interim, you know, the, 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 what we can do with those is not take as many plane trips. I mean, that, that would be the first thing. Uh, but, but they really don't have many options. And so it is a good thing that they can offset their emissions. But, you know, what kind of tree, where is it planted and at what time is the right question, I think. Um, and so it is a matter of balance um, that, that we don't want unrestricted purchasing to defer decisions around cutting emissions. Um, but on the other hand, you know, purchasing emissions will play a role. Now, some in the agriculture sector, farmers and indeed some in the industry, well, the, the broad industry, say that uh, the Climate Change Commission is anti-farming. What do you say to that? <laughs> As a Climate Change Commissioner, it, it probably would be hard for me to say it is. Um, so he would <laughs> say that. Um, but, but no, I, I, th I think um, it's quite interesting. We've been accused of being anti-farmer, pro-farmer, anti uh, gas pro gas um, and i think we, we could say we we've upset uh, many people people in equal measures i think <laughs> what people perhaps sometimes don't recognize is, is what the climate change commission is and what it was asked to do the targets um, are set by the government they are set in legislation the climate change commission is then asked to draw up budgets which are in line with those targets. And they're just literally stepping stones along the way to, to meeting those long-term targets. And, and the commission is then asked using independent analysis um, and evidence to find ways of meeting those targets, but building it sector by sector. So it has to look at what each sector contributes, where the mitigations are in each sector, look at the, the cost of those mitigations, the technical feasibility, the social implications, and then try and build a picture of what the country can meet, but built up sector by sector. So in the agricultural sector, the sector, and I'm particularly looking at the methane side of things, is, is asked to meet a 10% target by 230. And that's what We've, we've actually looked at it and said, well, with the practices that are, are available, with the policies that are being put in place around ETS, around water, we think the agricultural sector could get to that 10% target by 230. And, and, and that there are several routes by which you can get to there. So we have put into our budgets, you know, meeting that 10% target. It's, it's less by 225 and it's about 70% by 235. Mm. And, and so we have just tried to see where we think from we can meet that target. We've been accused then of being exceedingly soft on, and we should have gone further. But, but in many ways, we were asked to get budgets to meet targets. So that's what we've done. Mm. And, and on the mm. other hand, 
we couldn't, in a sense, say, well, um, we just can't meet those targets because there is always ways of meeting a target. It depends on what the economic cost would be um, because we've been severely criticized. Well, why didn't we just say ban fertilizer? Why didn't we place stocking rate limits on, on the agricultural sector? And, and in our view, they aren't necessary to meet those targets. Um, so, you know, and that's a, the, the emission has very you know, quite well-defined terms of reference, which say it has to set budgets that meet targets, taking into account, in a sense, encapsulated social, environmental and technical implications. So they have to be viable. They have to be we have to take into account their effect on communities, the effect on the national economy. So these are the terms of reference. So I would say the committee is neither pro, the commission is neither pro nor anti anything. The mm. commission has to independently, using the best evidence available, mm. get budgets that align with the government set targets. Mm. And I, mm. you know, I mean, as, as someone who's been in the agricultural sector all his life, I'd hate to be told to be, that I thought I was anti-farming. I know you've spent a lot of time working in other parts of the world, like the UK, for example. How do we really compare to other big agricultural countries in terms of our emissions? Yeah, I, I'd probably answer that in two ways. The, the first one is, is that if we look in terms of our emissions per unit of product, which I think is, you know, is one way of looking at our efficiency. We are, you know, we're up there at the top of the world. And we can argue whether individual studies make us with the top or we're, you know, we're un undoubtedly amongst the best in the world. Where we do differ from, from countries like the UK, from de the developed countries in general, is that our agricultural sector is large. It's a very important component of our economy. And, and if you look at, the, you know, for example, the UK, look across Europe, um, agricultural sector produces a relatively small amount of their emissions. And mm. using these, this thing called you know, this basket equivalence of carbon dioxide equivalents, ours are nearly half of our emissions. So our agriculture is just under half of our mm. emissions. And where's the UK? Under 10%. Mm. Average across Europe, around about the average of OECD, 10%. So where we differ is that our emissions are much more important to our economy than others. But what we can show is how efficient we are. But the problem arises that when countries are taking on obligations, if, if the UK takes on an obligation, for example, and Europe, their biggest concern is, is really reducing emissions from energy generation and transport. And the UK has been able to show very, very big reductions because it switched away from coal-fired power generation. Mm. We didn't have that option. You know, we're already highly um, efficient in terms of renewable energy, mm. whereas we've got agriculture. And so having agriculture as a big component of our emissions does put us under pressure to reduce our agricultural emissions. The only other country that comes near us, really, um, is, is Ireland. Um, Australia to some extent, but Australia has you know other other issues. But Ireland has close to thirty percent of its emissions coming from the agricultural sector. Mm. Agriculture is a major component of its economy, and and you could even argue that it's in a, a more difficult position than us because it gets its targets set by the European Union, and so 
its targets in actual fact on say for methane are higher than our targets and they've got an increasing emissions and emission of methane coming from their dairy sector because their dairy sector is expanding now that dairy quotas have been have come off in mm. europe so in general we are just different to others what we can show efficiency absolutely up there in terms of the importance of emissions to our economy and the importance of emissions that we have to reduce when we're taking on these international commitments, we are different. And there's a bigger focus on agriculture for us than there are in any other developed country, as I said, with the exception perhaps of Ireland. Harry, I thank you very much for your time today. Very good. Pleasure, Angus. Good to speak to you. There's plenty more to come on this. And as mentioned earlier, one of the key considerations is, is agriculture in this country contributing to additional warming from today? One thing is for sure in my mind is that we need policy set in line with other major food producing nations. We also need bipartisan policy that sets New Zealand as a farming nation up for the next 100 years or longer. This will give certainty to farmers and provide certainty to our all-important export revenue. That's all from me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.